that were not treated well, that were, were beaten, even died in their slavery. And we think, oh, that's horrible. This, this is an interesting parable because Jesus is approving, actually, of how this master treats But see, this is why this is a challenging parable. Jesus is saying we need to have the right mindset of our position compared to God. And I think this is very important for us as Americans, Christians in America, where our entire culture is telling us what? Oh, you're entitled. It's all about you. Right? The old Burger King slogan, your way, right away. Oh, it's all about me. I get whatever I want. I, I, right? I can pick up my phone and put in an Amazon order and it's literally on my doorstep the next morning. I mean, this is, this is a pretty luxurious life. This is not the life of the self-denying, Christ-exalting, cross-carrying disciple of Christ. It's not it. He did not save us to actually, as Pastor Swanson said this morning, a life of personal peace and affluence. He did not save us to have a life of personal peace and affluence. He saved us to give glory unto him. And so we're going to see that today. So let's take a look. This servant, what has the servant done? He's worked hard all day. Who has ever plowed a field or tended sheep all day? I have no idea what that's like, but I'm sure it's much harder than sitting in my office all day. That's what I'm guessing. It's probably exhausting work. I can't imagine manually plowing a field. I don't even know how they did such things. But then he comes back home at the end of the day. I know what I feel like doing after the end, end of uh, you know, a full day of work. I'm like, oh, finally I get to sit down. No, no, not for this servant. What does he get to do? He comes back home and the farmer or the master says, okay, you're now going to make me a meal. And notice one important consideration, just a historical context that, that we can derive from here. This, this, this is the only servant. This is a farmer and a servant. It's not like this crew of servants. This guy has to prepare a meal all by himself for this farmer. And then the farmer, what does he say? He says something we might think is a little cruel. You don't even get to start eating or drinking till I'm all done. And you wonder to this servant, like, I'm just going to slowly take my time and eat, wait for my last sip. And what was this? What is, what is this? What is this? And then after all that, does the farmer even thank him? What does Jesus say? I think not. What? I mean, where's the gratitude? Because the servant simply did what he com- was commanded. And after all that, how does the servant respond? Interesting. Is he hateful? Is he bitter towards the master? Is, is he angry? Does he want to run away? Not at all. The humble servant says, we are unprofitable servants. We have done only what our duty is to do. It's amazing. This is an amazing picture here. This is an amazing response. And I think it's amazing to us a little bit because we, we've all been a little affected by our culture. I, I think we're all a little like, this is not just. This is, this is doesn't this guy have rights? Well, I mean, can he appeal to the, to the courts or something? I mean, this is not appropriate. It's like abuse. No, 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 no. No, this is the picture of the Christian before our God. And so, again, as it really grates against our entitlement mindset and our culture, we, we struggle with this because we know that we can barely lift a finger 
at work. And when we do, we're like, well, you better remunerate me because I just worked. I mean, I don't work for free, right? I mean, that's almost like a just thing to say in our society. Well, you can't expect him to work for, for nothing, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we declare these things. But, of course, Jesus' teaching is that this is what genuine faith and trust in God brings. This is the fruit it brings. This is the mindset it brings. A right view of God, of his saving gospel. It transforms us and enables us to truly be servants to all. The gospel enables us to see rightly what what Paul declares is death to ourselves. I I die daily. I I struggle with it. I'm like, wait wait a minute, I like my life. I I want my life. I'm in control of my life. No, no, no. No, in Christ, we have given it up. We have given our lives to Christ. And we die daily for the glory of God. Do you remember what Paul said in the beginning of Ephesians 4? What did he refer to himself as? You might remember. I, a prisoner of the Lord. Even that language, we go, what? Prisoner. Prisoner's a bad thing. But not of God. A prisoner of the Lord is the best place to be. And if we take that mindset, we can say, oh, I see what the servant's thinking now. He's done all this for his, he's done all this work. He's worked all day long. He made a supper. No thanks. And what's he saying? I haven't done enough for you, master. That's the heart for our God that we have. And I want to, uh, tonight, really to teach a lot of different ways to go through this, but I want to I focus on service. I mean, are we serving? Are we servants to all? Are we truly serving? So I've compiled a few principles from the Puritans who wrote on this. There's a lot of great commentaries and writings on this challenging parable. But here's the question that we can consider. What heart of service do we owe our God? Like, if you just think, what should my heart of service be before my God? Should it be lukewarm? Should it be... When I have time, should it be, you know, after I do everything I want to do for the day? What what should our heart be? So I want to go through seven principles regarding our Christian lives in service to our God. Number one, we have to remember that we were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. And now we're God's servants. We are bound. To do all we can for his honor. And so much so that we have died to ourselves. We've been given a new life. A life in Christ. Not to do what we want with. But for Christ and for his glory. All our lives. All of our strength. Is to be employed for him. For his service. And so we're not to dispose of our energy. And our resources on ourselves. For our own self gratification. But for our Lord and our master. And for his kingdom. Right? And, and that's that. Reference, you might remember from 1 Corinthians 6. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. And so the prisoner of the Lord language of Paul makes a lot more sense now. I'm bought with a price and I am God's now. Oh, yeah, I'm sort of in God's hands now, if you will. Prisoner of the Lord. Number two, worshiping God is a joyful part of our service to God. So as God's servants, he's given us work to do, right? You know, just laying on the couch all day, you might say, oh, I'm not sinning. I'm just doing great here. Oh, maybe. You could be committing quite a few sins of omission, 
of neglecting that which God has called us to do. Because he has given us work. Think as parents. He's given us a job to do as parents, hasn't he? If you're married, he's given you responsibilities to do. If you're a child, anyone a child in here, he's given you a responsibility to honor your parents. He's given us all just work to do. And it's exciting work. It's good. It's righteous work. And these are the daily graces he's given us. But, you know, what we also do is we, we give our devotion and worship to God, which includes things like waiting on him, trusting in him, increasing our knowledge of him and our devotion to God. So the, it's, it's just not a normal servant-master arrangement. It's, you know, it's not like I go get a job and they pay me and it's great and I do a good job. No. This is, this is a worshipful, worshipful, glorifying relationship in communion and connection with the one who gives you life. So it, it's, it's incredible. Our devotion to God is a joyful part of our service. Number three, our primary focus really in life needs to be on glorifying our Lord. We, we read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so we have to stay kind of, we have to make things simple sometimes, right? Like if I need to boil it down to a very simple, what is my purpose in life? <laughs> it's to glorify God and enjoy him. And it's both. So that needs to be our primary focus, is glorifying God. Now, Because notice in the parable, the servant, it says, the servant doesn't expect the master will come and say, come sit down and eat. I mean, the servant doesn't expect that. The servant knows he worked all day. I don't think my master is going to say, oh, just kick off your boots and come lounge with me. No, 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 no. no. He, he is here to serve, and he's ready to serve. So our focus is not to be on some crown of glory that God is going to give us, some reward from the, from the Lord. Right? We are serving our Lord today and giving our lives to him for his kingdom. You might remember Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us race with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. So we have our eyes fixed upon Christ. We don't have our eyes fixed upon some reward from God. Not some blessing. If I do this, he'll bless me. No. Our eyes are fixed on glorifying God. We're not worried about what we get. That's that's the servant heart here that we see in the parable. Number four, um, the next consideration really takes into account what we see there in Hebrews 12, which is, as Christ's servants, we are waiting upon him. Anybody, you know, ever been to a restaurant? What, what comes to you? Who comes to your table? It's a, a waiter or a waitress. And their job is to do what? To wait on you. <laughs> to, 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 to be there for you. To serve you. To do wh- whatever you need. You know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm here, to, here to take your order. I'll go get that. I'll bring that back. Oh, you need salt and pepper. I'll go get that. No, they're, I mean, they're, they're waiting on you. And we wait on our Lord. In the same way, we are here for our God. We are ready vessels, ready vessels, vessels of honor, the scripture says, available for our God's use. We, we, we want to be ready for God, right? As, uh, as the scriptures say, we must free ourselves from anything that would entangle us or weigh us down. That's what, that's what Hebrews 12 says. 
As 1 Peter 1 says, we must gird up the loins of our minds. We must be ready and watching and waiting. We must keep our lamps burning, ready and attendant to our master's needs. Now, amazingly, Christ, he is a great example for us, as he is in all things, but particularly in this area. Remember from Philippians 2, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. Now, are you worried about your reputation? Or are you faithfully committed to serving God? Knowing that that will certainly damage your reputation for for somebody in your life one day. So consider, in your heart and your mind, are you a ready vessel to serve him? Now, I was in the military. So was Mr. Galenick. And, uh, you know, whether it be the military or a police officer or a firefighter, I mean, these people kind of have to be in physical shape. They have to be in good shape because the job requires it. The job requires it, right? You, you, you can't have, you know, you know what good is a, a firefighter who needs, needs to climb up to the top of a burning building, run in, pick somebody up, run somebody up. What if they're out of shape? That's not helpful. They cannot do that role. Are we spiritually fit as ready vessels to serve our God? Are we, are we available to him in this way? Are we in shape, as it were? Remember what the Apostle Paul said, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He's ready in all means of life, physical, spiritual. He's available. He's ready. He's not encumbered, right? He's not, not, you know, you're you're carrying a big weight around. It's hard to run a race that way. So we know what we are training for. We know what we're living for, and it's to be at our master's service. So we have to be ready to do that. Number five, what do we deserve from Christ? That's an interesting question. You know, does Christ owe us something? Do we, do we serve and labor for him? And then we sort of like, oh, I, I, I worked hard today. And Jesus is like, okay, let me get, what, get you what you need here. No. And that helps us, again, a little bit understand the perspective here. Notice in the parable, it says, does the master thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And, and I mean, is Jesus like up there saying, Oh, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil, so much. No, it's just bizarre. It's a weird thought. But it helps us understand, like, oh, oh yeah, I'm not God. He's God. Right? I need to have the right perspective of this. Christ's servants, we don't merit any thanks from God. We're the redeemed ones. We, we are incredibly grateful that we're even alive. Right? No works of ours can merit any favor from God. So, we, we do expect God's favor, though, don't we? Because he promises it. He promises favor. But it's not from anything we've done, is it? No, it's only by his grace. It's by his goodness, by his promises, uh, that he does pour out his grace and mercy and blessings and favor upon us. Not according to our merit, but according to his saving works. Because it's in his sacrifice. It's by his work, 
his sacrifice, then we can, that we can even live to serve him. And you remember that, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, number six, number six consideration here. Now, in our lives, we serve a lot of people, don't we? I mean, you probably do. You probably do a lot of things. You serve a lot of people. You probably don't really keep track of it, all the little things you do. And there could be very minute things as well, you know, that nobody ever knows about. But how are we called to love and serve God? We must serve him with all that we have. Remember, Jesus said specifically, we are to serve him with what? All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sort of giving everything we have to God, laying it out for our master. So that's why at the very end of this parable, the servant said, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what our, what our duty was to do. For we do all the things that Christ commands us to do, but we don't just do them. You know, okay, I'll do what you want, God. We do them with joy. We do them with love unto our God because we know our Father is giving us what's best for us and what is for his glory, for him, for his redeeming grace. And number seven, the last uh, consideration here that we should remember. Remember this. This is interesting. Does God need our service? Like, is he going to make it? You know, we don't just, you know serve in the kitchen, you know, next Sunday. I mean, it's like, is God, God's kingdom going to fall? No. So we have to remember that he's all-powerful. He's all-wise. He's most holy. And so the reason that after serving, after giving, after laboring for our Lord, we still say we're unprofitable servants. I mean, because you, we know. Even if we fail in our service, does that, like, affect our God's power? Does that affect his holiness? No. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. But what does he give us? God doesn't gain from our service. He, he, but he does build his kingdom through our service, which we have to be seeing as a humble privilege, an incredible honor. It's not like you're an employee, right? You're an employee at a job, and if you work really hard, you know, your, your boss has a better life or something like that. I mean, maybe that's true. I know. Maybe that happens somewhere. You do a good job, your boss has a better life, your boss makes more profit or something like that. Nothing like that. No, our service is not for the increase of God, but it's out of our love for him. And the more we love him, the more we know him, the more we understand his saving work, the more we'll want to serve him. So it's in response to his call for us to be profitable servants. God is not in need of us, but we are undone without him. I mean, we are lost and blind and captive without him, right? Yet by his grace, he uses our service to build his kingdom, which is just incredible. An amazing truth that we get to be part of this. I mean, what building project do you want to be part of in your life? Look back over your life. There's lots going on. I mean, man is, the world is building on doing, creating all kinds of kingdoms and things. What kingdom building project do you want to be part of? When you've finally been given this opportunity, do you want to be part of his eternal kingdom building work? I think that's what I'd like to do is be part of building a kingdom that's going to last for a while, like for eternity. So in summary of this parable, we've seen that in the kingdom of God, where God's sovereignty is recognized, God's children aim to do his will. 
but they do it with a gladness of heart and a spirit of love and gratitude. See, Jesus wanted his followers to know what it truly means to be a servant. Remember what Jesus did when, his, when he said when his, remember his disciples were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Remember what Jesus said to them? He said, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and a servant of all. And of course, Jesus, we know, set the example before his disciples, didn't he? In Luke 22, which we'll get here to in a while, uh, when he washed their feet. I mean, he just physically, I just see Luke 17 as a preempt to Luke 22. He, he was, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm readying you for this. This is how we are. This is how you are as disciples of me. And then he physically showed them at the Last Supper. And, um, of course, he said, he said there, upon washing their feet, he instructed them. In Luke 22, he said, He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who govern, governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table and he who serves. And just think of the, going to a restaurant. Who's greater? It's the person who's sitting down at the table, right? They're being waited upon by the waiter. Is it not the one who's at the table? Yes, that's what Jesus says. Yet I am among you as one who serves. So he, he just, Jesus, this is where Jesus just turns the whole world upside down. You know, it, it's like going into that, I mean, this is a very raw illustration, but you go to the restaurant, you sit down, the waiter comes up and you go, you sit down. I'm serving you. That's what Jesus does. And that's what we're to do to our God and to all people. He's the servant of all. What an example to us. Well, this is a clear teaching to his disciples to not work in God's kingdom purely for some reward. No. But to do it, to work and serve for God and for his glory alone. And so in essence, this parable, we see that the farmer... He could, he could make these claims upon his servant. He could ask this of his servant. And Jesus validated this parable. Jesus said, this parable, in the way I've just said it, this is right. So how much more is it for us as God's servants who have been called to love and serve God with our whole heart, whole heart soul, mind, and strength to serve our God? Well, just as a preview to next week, I just want to... Uh, let you know this, we're going to go on in Luke 17, Pastor Suiso will preach the evening service next week and you'll hear he's going to move on in, in Luke 17 and you might remember, it's the story Jesus tells about the ten lepers and you remember what happens with the ten lepers he heals them all, they all head out he actually tells them, go, go tell yourself to the priest, and how many come back to thank him one, only one only one comes back But do you see, this is the exact same picture of the servant who serves rightly. The leper praises God and thanks Jesus. He he did more than he was ordered to do. Jesus didn't say, "Uh, you know, go do that and then come thank me. No. But this, this servant, this leper, as it were, loved his God. He didn't have to thank him. He didn't have. But Jesus said, this is the example of what you are as my disciples. You come back. You do more than is expected for your God. 
And this is the heart of God's children. We in Christ have become his servants, right? Paul started a number of his epistles by saying, I'm the bondservant of Christ, right? And this service really ushers in so much blessing in our life. It it ushers in peace. Notice what, uh, again, Paul calls himself not only a bondservant. We talked about he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He calls himself uh, a, a ready vessel for Christ, emptied, available, expectant for God to give him a job to do. And so we, we live this life. And what an exciting privilege. I mean, this is a joy. We, we don't, again, we don't, I think of the, what is that, the, the hamster wheel? You ever seen one of those? This thing, this creature gets on this thing and must just go insane. I mean, just, I mean, what in the world? I'm going to run on this hamster wheel. That's the life of living for ourselves. It feels good for a little while until it doesn't satisfy, which the pastor Swanson talked about this morning, and then you just need something else, something new, something different, some other attraction. But serving God, serving the eternal God who lasts forever, being part of his kingdom-building project, serving others, giving your life for that, wow, what a blessing, what a privilege that is. That we as his redeemed children can do that. And isn't that exactly how he's fashioned us to be? Isn't that what he's made us to, do, to be? Remember at the end of Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of love, children of God. May we serve him with our whole lives. A living sacrifice, our reasonable service to him. And so as we close tonight, let's just, let's just keep that in mind as we go to prayer. That we would gladly and joyfully serve our God and glorify him. And be looking for those opportunities in every little dimension of our life. How we can do that. How we can glorify him and enjoy him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a wonderful but challenging parable you've given us here. We thank you for the saving, redeeming grace of Jesus Christ that we don't have to serve ourselves. In fact, you call us to deny ourselves, to turn from ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow you, which is where we find ourselves, that giving that reasonable service, that living sacrifice to our God. We thank you, God, and we pray that you would give us opportunities, even this very week, how we would reflect upon our own service to you. Are we as this servant to the farmer in this parable? Are we the leper that came back thanking and praising our God, doing more than was asked because we are here and we know the love of our God and we can say as they did, we are only unprofitable servants, only doing what we were asked to do. Amen.